welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Ours in Guatemala, cool people say, buenas. Um, we've started a new study called Commands of Christ, and today we're going to focus on discipleship. And we're going to be in John chapter 4. Before we do that, I'm going to read in Matthew. But as, as we go through John today, we're going to relate that story with stories you want to hear about Guatemala as we walk through that together. But in Matthew <clears throat> chapter 28, 19 through 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's telling us to go make disciples, but at the beginning of that says therefore, and if you've been a Christian very long, you've always heard what is the therefore or therefore. So we have to look back at um, 18 where it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So what he's pretty much saying He's, not, he's saying this isn't a suggestion, this isn't something that I casually want you to do. He's saying, you know who I am, I'm Jesus Christ. You know my credibility, and I'm urging you to go and make disciples, to teach them all the commandments. So he's telling them to go out and make disciples. So what is a disciple? If you looked up in the dictionary, it says, a follower of a teacher or a leader, or a student of a teacher or leader. So if you... Have a follower, what else do you have to have? You have to have a leader, right? And that's what discipleship's all about. And that's what we're going to learn today as we read Scripture in, in John chapter 4. And as we hear the stories of those who went on this mission trip. So who, where do we go? We go and we tell and we teach. And we go maybe to just inside our home, to, the, to our child's bedroom. Maybe we go to our neighbor's house. Maybe we go to our boss or our coworker. We go wherever we feel God's leading us to go. And we'll touch more on that after a while. And then what do we tell? We tell our story. We all have a story of some kind of how God has worked in our lives, he has redeemed us, or maybe he's, we haven't received salvation, but we know he's working. We all have a story leading up to salvation and after salvation. So we have to tell that story. We have to tell the story which is God's story. The fact that God created each of us to have a relationship with Him. But we screw up every day and that's just enough to separate us from God. And it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how many trips I go to Guatemala. It doesn't matter how many people I might help on the side of the road. None of that can pay for the mistakes I make each and every day. But Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price by going on the cross, dying, and then coming back to life by defeating death he defeated sin and because of that I can receive salvation and you can receive salvation and have eternal life with Christ so that's the things we have to go do and tell and this may be right here what it looks like watch the screen so why do we go to Guatemala for ultimately is to share the salvation of Christ to those in Guatemala but it's also because it's my heart and Brandy's heart that those we take 
will become better disciples. And that means um, hopefully when they come back from the trip, they've learned more about how to walk like Christ. And that here at home, they will go out and serve others and be the hands and feet of Christ. That's, that's the heart. It's, it's a two-way deal. It's, it's to serve them, but it's also to, to get those that go with us to come back home and serve as they see the example of Christ. We're going to talk about the Samaritan lady at the well today. And just to save time, I'm not going to read the whole uh, scripture. It's 4 through 42 of John chapter 4. But it's just about how Christ come and sat at the well and waited patiently for the Samaritan lady to come and just draw him some water. And how that process started a transformation in her life and in her heart that she become a follower of Christ and a disciple of Christ. And it led others to become followers of Christ and um, disciples of Christ. And as we read through each verse, um, we're going to hear stories of what went on. As you can tell, there's a lot that went on. We can't cover everything. So at the end of service, feel free to grab us and just ask us um, some stories maybe. But each person is going to tell a little story. And it's amazing how the story of the lady at the well matches the story of our experience in Guatemala. So I'm going to start with um, John chapter 4. Like I said, I'm just going to break it down step by step instead of reading all the way through it and then coming back. So John chapter 4, verse 4. says, He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired from the long walk, sat nearly beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and said to Je- said, Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy the woman. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. He, she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So a lot of times the first step for us as Christians in making disciples, if we want to be leaders and teachers, is to get those around us involved. And we see here that Jesus simply asked her, will you draw me some water? And you would say, well, how in the world does that start discipleship? And Chris is going to share a story to you about how exactly that works in Guatemala. Good morning. The uh, power of involvement is amazing. Uh, last year, there was a gentleman who had a corner house there. He was what we call the carpenter. And uh, didn't communicate with us, even though we went several times and talked with him. But no involvement. This year, we were building some gardens for each family. And we needed 12 blocks at each village's house. So... When they delivered the hundred block, the first hundred blocks, they were way on the other end of town. So we were trying to figure out, oh my goodness, we're going to have to carry blocks, you know, an eighth of a mile to the furthest house. So uh, Brad spoke with the carpenter. He had a little pickup truck. He came, we loaded that thing to full capacity, and he was just as elated to help us deliver those blocks. Then after that, he made us all these wooden dishes by hand. His wife made us, boiled us sweet corn to eat, and he was involved with us every day after that. It just, it's amazing how that touches when you 
just like he said, you get somebody involved and it just, it, they feed off of it. And the whole village is like that now. As most of you know, I can barely speak English, so speaking Spanish is quite a trick for me. I don't. Uh, but it, the joke is, is that I can translate for them. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that we go somewhere and we're totally different, just like here. We're small, big, different colors, but there we definitely have the language barrier. But we were able to share many times that there was one thing that we could share, that we both had, and that was the love of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can do what we do is by the love of Jesus Christ. And in turn, they do the same to us. They're always wanting to give us stuff. And if, Pastor, if you'll come up to the front, please. These people barely, if they're lucky, if they have a cement floor. Most of the floors are dirt. And so uh, Estella, for some reason, always makes us gifts. And she didn't make this for me. She didn't make it for, you know, one particular person. But she made this for our church. And she wanted me to give it to our pastor of our church. And she makes these by hand. And I just think that's amazing that she has so much love for us that she does this. You may very well see this fairly uh, often when we do the Lord's Supper. I think that would be a good use for, uh, for this. So when you talk to them, tell them we say thank you. Again, like I said, they give us so many gifts, but one of the biggest things, you know, they have challenges, we have challenges, but they don't go around sad-faced. They're happy all the time. You know, I was there, my oldest daughter was in the hospital. I was a little panicked. Uh, matter of fact, I had to leave three days early, and uh, I thank God that he got me on a plane all the way on my ride there to the airport, we hit a traffic jam because there was an accident and there's only one road. And um, I was just praying, you know, I just had to trust, had to trust him with my daughter and her life. And I just thank God for him. I thank God for the gifts that we received. We had so many papayas, we couldn't aid all of them ourselves in this church. They just kept giving us stuff left and right. Jesus said, the lady says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and the animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I will give will never... be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So as we get people involved, they begin to understand why it is we're doing what we're doing. And then more and more as they get involved, they begin to long or want 
for what it is they see within us. As they see us doing these things, they want to know why it is we're doing it. And we get to tell them. And they begin to long for, for what they see in us. And Kelsey's going to share a little bit of how that longing comes forward through their lives. So when we were there this year, we built gardens for all of the families with cement block and dirt. And um, we had the dirt pile was kind of in the middle of the village, so we had to take it um, to all the houses, which some were pretty far away. Um, And we started at the very end of one of the streets. Um, And about the second trip down there, I just told Brad, I was like, I don't know if I can take any more buckets. Like, it was 90-some degrees out there with 80% humidity, And it was really hot, and it just took all your energy. Um, And the second time I came back, um, we had started with three buckets, and I'm not even sure if we had a wheelbarrow to begin with. And when I walked back the second time, there's kids everywhere with buckets. Um, Men had brought wheelbarrows. I think we ended up with four wheelbarrows and like 10 or 15 buckets, and everyone in the village was there to help us take the dirt, which... It would have, I don't know if we would have even gotten finished if we had to do it all ourselves. Um, and it was just great to see how, you know, last year they got a little bit involved when we were building the houses, but this year they are all um, just wanting to help us. And we go there um, in hopes of through Christ helping them. And when we get there, all they want to do is help us. Um, so I'm just going to read what I wrote in my journal because it's probably a little better than anything I could say right now. Um, But it says, I just looked from the dirt pile and realized that their community was coming together all through the work of Christ. Carrying the dirt was really hard work, and a couple of times I didn't think I was going to make it, but I did. And these kids made us look pathetic. They were carrying buckets on their heads. Um, Just when I thought there was no way we would get it all done, all of these sweet little hands showed up to help. Um, And it was just such a blessing to see um, them just wanting to follow us and just praying that we can be a good example for them. And even if it's them following us in what we do, um, working and helping them, um, or if it's them following us to look more like Christ, we just pray that that's what we are there to do. In the first part of 15, the lady responds to Jesus after he talks about this water, and he says, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. She says, please, sir, give me this water. She's longing for what she sees and hears Christ talking about. Um, it's very important that, that what we say matches up with the way we walk and what we do. Especially when you're around people who are examining you very carefully to see if that's the case. Because people come in and out of some of these villages um, and do harmful things saying they're coming in Christ's name. The first year we was down there, um, a, a group came in claiming to be Christians and took many of the children um, for human trafficking. And it made it very hard for churches to go back in there and minister to that village. So they're being very watchful what's going on. So that's, that's why it's that much more important. But there's three stories I want to tell you real quick. The first one... Uh, I, I had to stay back and work on some vehicles one day, but the group went, and Cindy came back and told me this story about how the group was walking down the street. And there's a gentleman that had a, a store, a tienda, down this one road, but that's not where the traffic is. So he bought a little Coke stand, and he brought it to the end of the street. And he asked Cindy about, you know, why do we keep coming back? 
You know, this is our third trip. Why do we keep coming back? You know, is it a free ride pretty much is what he was asking. And Cindy said, no. When we leave here Wednesday, we're already thinking about what the needs are that we can do next year. And we're already planning um, the trip. And we're already trying to raise money and figure out how to pay for that trip. And he said, you mean nobody pays for you to come here? And she said, no, we have to work to get that money on our own. And he said, man, that's really from the heart. Because he could see what we were doing and slowly realizing that it had nothing to do with us, that we were just loving Christ. And that was a result of, of loving them. Another story is uh, the day before the football turn, we were cleaning the field. You saw the, the photo of the kids helping Cameron and Corey pull, or Cameron and Jesse pull the wore out mat- mattress spring. And we were, what we were doing was dragging the field, getting rid of rocks. And um, we, we went all out in this field. We painted gold. We took nets with us because I have no nets. We got lime from the pepper guy and made lines and everything. And a gentleman come up. He said, you were preaching a practical gospel. And we hadn't said a word yet. We were just working and loving. And he said that that was a practical gospel. And I think that's the best compliment any person or any group could have is the fact people see Christ in you without even saying a word. And in the third story, last year we built uh, a house for a family. And his name is Jaco, and we call him Jack. And I shared Christ with him last year. And he understood salvation. He understood Christ. But he said, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to, to do that. And I said, all right. So this year I saw him again. First day, I believe. And I said, Jaco, I said, you know, last year you said you weren't ready. Where are you now? You know, how's life been the past year? Where, where are you standing before God right now? He said, I, I completely understand salvation. I thank you so much for what you're doing, but I'm still not ready. And I said, Jaco, if you see me any time this week, I'll be here for almost two weeks. You pull me aside if you have any more questions. And he never did pull me aside to ask about Christ, but he always stopped and talked to me about anything, family, work, what it was like here in America. And last year, after we built the house, he always stood back, but now he was wanting to talk. And I'm hoping, if it doesn't happen before we go back next year, I mean, I hope he does come to Christ. But if not, I hope that next year is the time when he says, I'm ready. And that's what it's all about, is, is making disciples wherever we go. Verse 19 through 22. It says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Now just prior to this, Jesus had told her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. He said, you're right. You've had five and the one you're with isn't even your husband. So now she's amazed at what he knows and the knowledge that he has. And she's, she's beginning to ask these questions, deep spiritual questions. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it is no longer a matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. When we go to Guatemala... Guatemala is predominantly Catholic. And we as Christians go in and we try to share our faith. And just like the Samaritan woman, she kind of knew about Christ. But she didn't have the full story. 
And as Christians, we believe that Christ died on a cross for our sins. And it's not the fact that he died, it's the fact he rose again. Because when he rose again, he defeated death, which means he defeated sin. But that's, that's where Catholicism stops. They believe he died on the cross. And we've got that just little bit of extra information and hope to share with them. So just like Jesus is trying to share with the Samaritan woman the importance and just a little more detail about what Christ is and salvation, that's what we have to do when we go to Guatemala, to share with them the whole story so that they understand what true salvation is. In verse 23 and 24, it says, But the timing is coming... Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, your everyday, daily life, you need to be walking in a way that worships God. You know, we come in here and we may raise our hands and, and sing, but it's, it's what's in our heart. Because we can sing and raise our hands and put on a show if we wanted to. But it's our everyday life. Each step I take, I'm thankful to God. I thank Him for my job. I thank Him for the ways He provides. I thank Him for the fact that I even get to go to Guatemala. When I went one time 11 years ago, I was excited. I never thought that this last trip would have been my 15th trip and that I would be able to take groups like this to Guatemala. So I'm so very grateful. And it's walking in that gratefulness and thankfulness that you're in the Spirit of God and you're in the truth of God because you've always had him on your heart and on your mind. Verse 25, Corey's going to come up, but verse 25 says, The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. In other words, he will teach us. <clears throat> There's more people in this service than there was last, so... Um... <laughs> Um, from breakfast, we arrive at the village at like 9.30, some 10 at the latest. And um, when we arrive there, there's not many kids out because they're all in school. And, um, but they usually get out around lunchtime, and then they're ready to play and help us and whatever. But um, when um, it was either like the second or third day. We hadn't even been there that long, so it was kind of just a small group of the people there that knew we were there yet. And... Um, so it was either like the second or third day, and um, all the kids were, by the time we arrived, they were there, they were ready, they were like waiting as soon as we got off the bus, and it didn't dawn on us till later, we were like, why aren't these guys in school? And then um, later that day, one of our translators was like, oh, none of the kids were feeling well enough to go to school this day, today. And um, it was so precious, because no matter what we were doing that day, it was, some, it was some form of labor, and they were helping us no matter what they, how they felt or what their moms told them they could and couldn't do, they were still going to help us, even if they were carrying heavy buckets or even, like, they just, they wanted to help. They wanted to be there for us, and they wanted to do that with us. And um, we started uh, Bible studies at around 2.30 every day, and most of the kids were ready under the tree, dressed up. Some of them had dresses and um, dress shirts on by 2 o'clock, and they were just waiting with their families for us to do Bible studies with them. And um, they were so excited every day, no matter what the Bible story was about. They were shouting out answers. We didn't know what they were, but you could tell they were just so excited to be there and to learn. And um, then when we would start crafts, most of the days we only had like a limited amount of supplies. And, um, and they knew that, but still before they made a craft for themselves, 
they made one for us, and it was so perfect and so cute, and then it was kind of like, oh, we don't really have that much left, and they were just kind of like, okay, I'll take whatever, but as long as they made something for us first, and it was just really special to see just how they, how receptive they were to us, even if, I mean, most of them were Catholic, but they wanted, they were encouraging us, and we were trying to encourage them, and I think through the past three years, like, it's it's grown like the community has gotten bigger because they know that we're coming back. They know we're helping, and they want to be there for us, and you can tell they love us. Olivia's going to come up, but before that, verse 26 said, Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And then 29, or 28 through 32, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Okay, maybe I won't cry this time. I cried a lot the last time. But one of the things that we did on the last day was give out food bags to all the families. And they were so excited that they were getting, like, just one food bag. And then we gave them two. And they were just like, I get two food bags? Are you sure you have enough for everyone? Because I don't need two. And then we had extra. And we had enough to give other families more that had more kids. And then there was this little girl, Nancy... And she kept carrying the bags on her head. And she would carry buckets on her head the day we were carrying dirt. And she was like, this is how you carry it on your head. And she kept trying to flatten it out on my head so it would stay. But it just wouldn't stay. And she kept doing it. And she just kept laughing because it wouldn't stay on my head. But it was just a really special experience to be able to take all the food bags out to these families. So Christ is talking about this this food he has. And it's just the fact that he's relying on God. The fact that doing God's work is payment enough. That he's satisfied just by being part of God's work. And then in verse 33 and 34 it says, Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I'm going to talk about encouragement um, because we all need it. And we got there. Um, I had two things I wanted to say. Um, the first year when we would we would be in the village all day, and they they liked it. The men that were helping us work, um, they take pretty long breaks in the afternoon just so they can get a good rest before they finish the rest of their day out. And we didn't really have anywhere to go but just this dark little shed where we would make our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and it wasn't very sanitary in there. Um, and the second year we when we were back, um, we met this man who lived in a fairly nice home right when you drive into the village and he offered us his back porch every day to rest and would bring out his kitchen table every day big old table and all these chairs um so we would use that um last year well this year 
we came and they saw us coming and him and his wife would get off their hammocks and they would run and get the table out, get the chairs out, let us use their back porch. And he always had a smile on his face. Um, I mean, we invaded his house. We would use his front porch to work on our Bible story preparation. And he was always smiling. He never had a problem with us being there. Um, we could use his bathrooms. Um, it encouraged us. It made us want to want to work even harder. It encouraged him because he knew he was helping us, and it just fed off of itself. Um, well, Sunday at the church service, um, the pastor made the comment at the end. Um, he said the the people of the village want to repay you for everything that you've done over the past three years, but they don't have the money. Um, and then they they um, all came up one by one. And they hugged us, and they were just the biggest, sweatiest, fullest hugs, and they were wonderful, and that was payment far beyond what money would ever be. Um, and they were just holding us and, and praying and saying, we didn't even know what they were saying, but it was beautiful and um, just so precious. And the man who had the home, he, he prayed too for our group, and um, the pastor put his hand on each one of us and prayed. Um, the kids were coming up praying. It's just very sweet. In verses 35 through 38, Jesus says, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and one harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you don't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Um, for Brandy and I and a couple others in this group, it was a pretty tough week for us. Um, on Monday morning, we lost a, a real dear friend um, that helped us a lot on mission trips and just ministry in general. He's a gentleman right here in the green shirt, and that's Tyler. And uh, he got hit by a car Monday morning while riding his bicycle to work. And I'm sure most of y'all have heard the story. But this is one of the first trips Brandy and I put together to go to Guatemala, and Tyler was there with us. And he was always so supportive and encouraging. And he was always smiling, and people wanted to know why. And it's because of the salvation that he had and he wanted to share for others. And I say that with this scripture because it's talking about how full the harvest is, how, how it's ready to be plucked. And Tyler would tell you today, if he was standing here, that it's time. It's time to be discipled, and it's time to make disciples. There's no time to wait, because we're not promised tomorrow. We were talking, and his mom said, or actually his aunt said, you know, if, if God stood before Tyler and said, the guy in the car or you, Tyler would say, take me. Because the guy in the car doesn't know Christ. Give him a chance. And that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to put others first. Give them the chance to see Christ. And as we serve them and get them involved in what we're doing, they begin to ask why we're doing it. See Christ in our lives. And long and want for what we have. Because if we just go build a house or go do a football tournament, but never share Christ and tell them why it is we're doing it, then we're not doing our full job. Because we're supposed to be making discipleships, and they have to understand why it is we do what we do. There's no excuses, no worries about what it is. If it's, 
If it's you need to come with us to Guatemala, if God's ever laid it on your heart, then do it. If it's to go somewhere else, like Africa, if it's to go talk to your neighbor, if God's leading you to do something, do it. I hear it all the time. Well, I'll go do it when the time's right. Or, you know, I need to get this finance taken care of, and then I can go do this. Or I've heard people say, well, I'll get right with God when I get myself together. What if you never get yourself together in time? What if you lose that opportunity? So Shannon's going to come and talk a little bit about having no worries. Um, three years ago, I first um, felt the call to go to Guatemala, um, but ignored it because of excuses, like Brad said. Money, of course, we don't have that much money. What am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do with my kids? And what am I going to do with my kids? Um, because I didn't want to leave my husband with three kids because he normally works. He doesn't know the, the, the routines. Um, but I remember a, a sermon that Pastor Lynn preached back in October. And um, I just decided, I was like, it's, it's, it's the time. I, I feel like if I don't do it, then I'm going to be missing something. I'm going to be missing a huge blessing. So I typed the email to Brandy. And I waited like 10, 15 minutes, and I finally hit send. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to worry about the money. I'm not going to worry about my kids. God's going to take care of it because he's calling me. Um, And week after week, as we, you know, waited on the money, you know, friends and family started to step up, go to the mailbox, there'd be a check. My husband would be amazed. It was definitely a testimony to him of, of God's faithfulness. Um, the week before we left, I was still $400 short. So I started to worry. Um, but as soon as I did, God reassured me that it was going to be okay. He would take care of it. Um, I had taken my kids out for pizza and I had a friend call, ask where I was at. He came and met me and he handed me exactly $400. Um, so right there, I knew that this trip was meant for me and, I'm so thankful that I trusted in him to get me there. This family that you see on the screen, her name is Alejandra. Her son's name's Elio Nahi. And I had a chance to take the translator and talk to them um, just a few moments without everybody else. And when I talked to them, this family is the reason that I was called. Her family situation right now, what she's going through, is exactly what I've been through in the past. And I was able to give her encouragement to let her know that God's going to get her through this as long as she trusts in him. And now these two are my family. I mean, I can't imagine not ever going back to see them. Um, And I'm so thankful for everybody that helped me get there. And it's definitely shown me that if God's calling you to something, don't push it away. Just trust he will provide you the way. He will, he will make it happen. Um, and I'm just very thankful for anybody and everybody who pitched in to help this possible for me. In 39 through 42, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believe in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed 
the Savior of the world. So it started out with just asking for a, a glass of water. And it turned into a community coming to know the salvation of Christ. And hearing Him, seeing Him, and knowing how He lives and how, being an example of the, how they should live their lives. There's one little verse in here. It has nothing to do with this message, but I just wanted to point it out because it just goes about how God works and um, how His plan comes together. In verse 40, it says, When they came out to see Him, they begged Him to stay in their village. So He stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear His message and believe. And as I read that last night, I kind of laughed because we were supposed to come back last Wednesday. But Cheryl, who's the wife of Carlos, who started Hope Alive, asked Brandy and myself to stay two extra days to do some work in the village. And I thought, how cool was it that this scripture ends with, hey, can you stay a little longer for two days? And that's exactly how our trip ended. Because Brandy and myself and Michelle came back home on Friday, which was two days after everyone else left. So I thought that was cool. But the important part is the fact that people come to know Christ in this story. And Marquita and Michelle are going to share just a little bit about the experiences of seeing that work take, take fold. Hello. Um, the, if you can see right here, this is what most people, how they cook. And it's mostly outside. Um, actually, this has a little bit of tin over it. But the, and some of them, this is why we built this back here. A lot of them live in stuff like this. That's their homes. We have houses here. But we have showed them that no matter what they live in, how they cook, they're equal to us, and we love them through Christ um, with all of our hearts. Um, the first year I went, there was a meeting place in the road where we always met in the village, and most of the people just sat on the banks and watched us. Well, now um, they're always wanting to help, and we were coming back from the village one day and I had my arm hanging out the bus window just to try to get a little bit of air it was so hot and I have a little temperature thing hanging on my book bag so I laid it on my arm and the temperature was 109 and that was in the wind and we were all sweating to death and complaining but the point is they we went through the village and asked these women on these hot days to help us cook so we could serve and they they all made tortillas, we made, um, they cooked our little salchichas, which is little hot dog weenie things, and we served the whole village. There was probably 300 people come out to the soccer tournament, and we kept, we kept wondering, oh my goodness, we're not going to have enough food, we're not going to have enough food, and I kept thinking of the, the Bible story where God broke the bread, and it just kept multiplying, and we just kept getting food and food and food. And these ladies cooked in their houses and brought this food out for us to serve. And we served the whole village and more people who ever came to the soccer tournament. And it was just, it was just awesome. Um, we love those people. We miss them. And they're like our family. So last summer when we were in Santa Cecilia, we were talking to the pastor. I think it was after church or something maybe. 
Um, and he was telling us, he said, um, I know how to reach the kids and I know how to reach the adults, but there's this group of young men that I just don't know how to reach. And so we were like, okay, we're going to help you. And um, so we decided to host a soccer tournament. And we were like, okay, we're going to do this on Sunday because most of them work during the week, so we don't really get to see them very much. And then they also work on Saturdays most of the time. And so um, Sunday while we were there, um, we had handed out flyers earlier in the week and told them about the soccer tournament. And they were all so excited. They were like, yeah, I'm going to come, and I have a team already, and we're so ready to play. And so Sunday after church, we walk out, and it was probably like 12 o'clock. And we got a little worried because (laughs) nobody was on the field. Um, And so we waited a little bit, and we... um, went and got some tortillas and handed out the flour, um, and we came back, and then there were like 20 or 30 people ready to play. Um, And so it was just really cool to see how these young men were so excited about this, and it was a really good way to reach them. And you saw in some of the videos earlier just how excited they were when they won the tournament. Um, The first row in the front in the yellow jerseys, are the winners, and then the second row is second place. Um, And the final game, the championship game, ended up in a tie. Um, So we had to do a sudden death, and um, it was just really cool to see how into it they were. Um, And then after that, Brad got to share the gospel with them, and he did it in a way that they could relate to. He related it to soccer. Um, And so they were very receptive to that, and it was just really cool to see Um, or to be able to reach them in a way that we hadn't been able to do it before. So throughout this whole story of the the Samaritan lay at the well, we have a Samaritan lady, you have a Jew who doesn't normally go to Samaria, so you have us Americans who don't normally go to Guatemala, and then ask them to help us um, with little what we would think is insignificant things, borrow a truck, um, help me carry a block. These little things that get them involved. And we see how the discipleship uh, process carries on. Discipleship is a growth process. Um, In Scripture it says we are continuously being saved. It doesn't say we're saved and we're done and we know everything there is to know. No, come to know Christ through his salvation is the first step. But then we have to continue to learn and grow. And we're either following somebody or we're leading somebody. And oftentimes it's both. And Lily's going to come up and talk about the first step of starting that process of discipleship. Hi, um, so my name's Lily Miller, and I actually got invited on this trip by my good friend Michelle, and I'm a part of Harvest Bible Chapel of Hickory, and um, so it was great. I um, was at dinner with Michelle, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go on a mission trip this summer, and she said, Lily, I'm planning one right now, and so it was great, and it worked out, but um, I think that this whole trip for me was just you know, just like Brad was just saying, once you get saved, the Lord is just constantly growing you and sanctifying you. And and one of the things that I learned is that I'm really selfish on this trip. The Lord really revealed to me that 
I woke up every day with, um, okay, who in this team is going to serve me? And so God really challenged me and opened my eyes to have a me, how can I serve others first attitude when I wake up. And so um, I know I don't, I'm pressed for time, but um, growing up, I grew up in a Presbyterian church where we weren't taught about believers baptism. And, and once you are born again, then you take that call of obedience to get baptized. So on the trip, I had a chance to share my testimony with the church there on Sunday. And, um, and then shortly after I said, Brad, you know, I'd been thinking about it all week and I wanted to be baptized. And so we went down to the river and Brad baptized me, but it was great to be able to share my testimony of, hey, this is how the Lord saved me, but this is also what the Lord is continuing to do. And so I'm just thankful that Brad and Brandy have been so obedient to the Lord and uh, what he's been calling them to do there. And it allowed us to go in and just just follow up on what they're doing and be able to build off of those relationships that they've already made with those people. So I'm very thankful. Anyone show it? Video? Video? I'll go ahead and close this. Um, so discipleship is a growth process. They'll get the video here in a minute. Well, there it is. That was a really cool way just to end the trip. That was actually Tuesday um, evening. And where we did that was um, we as a group feel like we'd go down this river. Last year we started doing it. And that's where the, the kids and the, and the families of the village swim and bathe. And we have showers in our rooms, but we just said, you know what? Let's just bathe with them and just hang out with them and love on them and just be equal or, you know, just be like them. Um, so they understand. So that's where we went, and then Lily said, you know, I really want to be baptized. So we did it right there in the same spot where we swam and bathed. She might have had soap bubbles on her. I don't know. But um, it, it was just good. So as I close, you know, we talk about discipleship as a growth process. And just finding that person that you can follow as your disciple, but also who is following you. But an important question is, who are you following? Because if you're not following Christ, then you're leading someone else to not follow Christ. But if you're seeking Christ and seeking those who know Christ, godly men and women, and you're following them so that you can become a better follower of Christ, then those who are looking up to you, those who are following you, 
or ultimately learning how to walk and live like Jesus Christ. First service, I think we had five baptisms. That's the first step um, in that discipleship process. Come to know Jesus Christ, and he calls us to be baptized, to confess outwardly and publicly that we are believers of Christ. And then following with that, in the, in the method of just being discipled. So my question for you today as we close is, who are you following, and who is following you? Just ponder on that as we close today. Uh, John's going to come out. If you would stand, we're going to have an invitation. And uh, there's a lot of ways God could have spoken uh, to you today. He could have spoken to you about being on the next trip to Guatemala and realizing that's where you need to go. Or maybe he's calling you to go somewhere else. Uh, He could also have called you to to Christ uh, if you don't know him. Uh, Potentially you already know him, and yet you're not following him as much as you should. And that was what Brad was talking about, you know, who are you following and then who's, who's following you. So maybe if you know Christ and you realize today you're not following him as much as you should, then it might be a very good time for you to make a decision and bow your uh, head either where you are or come forward during the invitation, kneel and pray and say, God, help me to follow him. If you need Christ, we invite you to come forward during this time. I'll be here. Brad will be here at the front. Father, we ask you to take this time and use it to glorify yourself. Call us to follow you closer, those who know you, those who don't. Call them to yourself and help them to be obedient. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.